Coming at you from Title One Studios, I'm Steph Scholl here with the Silver Dollar Man. And who's the Silver Dollar Man? Why, me of course, Scott Stevenson. All you real estate agents out there, the Utah housing market can feel like a rat race at times. You guys are constantly having to adapt and change. And here at Nominations, how do you separate yourself from the pack? This is a weekly dose to help you with that. Today's nominee comes from Amy Brandt. She was a guest on our Utah Real Estate Podcast, and she was raving about her broker, Lisa Piella, with Altius Mortgage, and she's over the My Mortgage Ladies group there at Altius. Uh, So we are lucky to have Lisa with us. And Lisa, we're so happy to have you with us today, and we're looking forward to uh, hearing about your story, your background, and all of the good advice that you have for real estate agents on how they can succeed in this market. So just give us a little a little bit of a background, a starting background, a jump off point of, of your career and who you are. I'm Lisa Piella. I am the PLM for Altius Mortgages, my mortgage ladies, my mortgage guys. I've been in the business 32 years. I started in 1988 at a she local She was just bank. a baby, like two years old when that I happened. I know, I was. And you know, <laughs> it was one of those things that you kind of, I had a, a work release from high school so yes, legitimate. I got uh, into banking and I never got out of financing. It just ended up being something that I fell in love with. And I can say that the reason I fell in love with all of this is because I had amazing mentors and leaders that influenced my career in the very beginning of it. So I was super lucky with that part. So, and created passion for it for 30 plus years. So still doing it. Okay, so tell me a little bit about, I love that you have the My Mortgage Ladies and the My Mortgage Guys. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me about the the marketing behind that. Doing it as long as I have, it was, you know, originally kind of the word of mouth kind of business. And what I found to be r- rather interesting is people would introduce me to, like, this is My Mortgage Lady. Oh. And, so, <laughs> and so it ended up sticking so much that they're like, hey, this is My Mortgage Lady. So I ended up having it as a tagline on my signature or my emails. And then it ended up just being something that I thought was, you know, a connect to my name. And then I ended up branding it out and creating the DBAs for it. So I just thought it stuck. I like it. it I do too. Well, so tell us a little bit about your particular situation. I know you're brokered a little bit unique with your company. Give us a little background on how you're a little bit unique with with, uh, your mortgage company. Well, our, our branch is the only outside branch of Altius Mortgage. We're an independent location. So, and how ours is uniquely and fundamentally different is brokers are kind of, in my opinion, kind of like the top of the food chain in financing, just because you can be a banker and banking product portfolio is a little smaller and a little bit more rigid and you can be a lender and you open up the the product mix a little bit more, but as a broker, it's almost like the world is your oyster. And it's really hard what I have found going from any of those industries to the broker side. So how ours is uniquely different is we're designed to bring people in that are migrating, particularly from banking or from lending and trying to migrate into the broker world. It's the absolute most uh, freedom, options, pricing, competitiveness, but it's really like drinking from, you know, the fire hose. It's, It's really hard to kind of grasp it and understand portals and products and overlays and underwrite and, and, uh, so it can be really overwhelming. And what I have found is there's just really not a training tool out there. 
So we've designed our branch so that we have a mentorship so we can hire loan officers that come in and they can do an intern and our our tools and our trainings are designed so that's kind of baby steps intros to um, to the to the financing world itself with handholding. So we try to make sure that whatever they're doing, that they're not going to fail or fall. And when they do have circumstances where it gets a little slippery, they have somebody to go to that has the years of experience and the backing behind it. So it creates confidence. So when they're doing their business, they can carry it forward and and do it with knowledge and and conviction. So now, when you say internship, do you are you specifically referring to like college students no, that come in or just are, anyone who might be interested in the business itself and feels like hey i'd like to come in and get a start at least an understanding of this industry and whether it's something that i'd like to be in or not yeah for sure our what i have found to be the best step into this like i said is loan officers that have experience it's it's just the, it's so foreign so it, it feels you feel very lost. So having guidance and having somebody to sit down that can log into the portals and show you how to upload and show you how to price is key. But when I say like an internship, I'm I'm referring actually to brand new loan officers because it's really, really hard to get into this industry and you know, hit the ground running. You're just lost and you're just you're gonna gasp for water and it just, it quickly goes over you and there's not a lot of support. And in the broker world, there isn't. You know, these are the best of the best, in my opinion. You know, they're fastest thinkers, the most competitive that are out there and you just won't survive it. So what we do is I call it a baby bird, which is kind of bad, but I call <laughs> them a baby bird and I bring them in and I really, you know, mother hen them a lot. I They sit in front of me, they listen to my phone calls, they watch me review my files, they watch me review other people's files and they're constantly just, you know, in my shadow. So it's a nice way for them to, you know, first start learning the lingo, to sound somewhat competent in what they're doing, and to see somebody who's been doing this and has maybe a different perspective. But it's not just me. They also shadow the other loan officers. So maybe they can take bits and pieces of what they like with my approach or take something from somebody else's but they can create their own identity with it, but it's the A to Z concept, you know, it doesn't matter how you're getting it there, as long as you understand how it works. So I think everybody has a different approach and a different style, and having people that are very open to the idea of the training and having a very um, team-oriented mindset makes it very doable. And that's the difference with our branch. You're a mentor. You've been in the the banking world and now the brokerage world. What advice can you give to these real estate agents that are listening to help them? Because the whole purpose of this podcast is to educate, motivate, and give them the tools to communicate so that they can continue to secure houses for their clients' homes and not lose a deal right now in the competitive market. Pretty much be themselves that that is what i see as probably the number one thing that shifts or becomes an issue in business or a business platform i have a lot of new real estate agents that i've talked to over the years and i see them try to migrate to be you know some standard image and i personally think that's always a mistake because their sphere of influence and the people that are going to be using them for business they like them for them and so I would say, don't become a peg. Be the profound person that you are. You know, go into this career with a mindset that you're uniquely different, and that's 
absolutely perfect. So I think if you can identify yourself as the person you are, carry forward, work with your friends and family and do it in a way that is comfortable, you'll get the business. Don't change it. It's my first foremost thing I can tell somebody. The difference is, is also organize yourself because I think that's a huge hurdle coming into this is nobody's gonna take the time to start building their sphere of influence. They're not reaching out and branding themselves with you know, their, their contact database and it's messy. And so I think if you're gonna hit the ground running, you know, like I said, start create, make sure you're professional, create your image, create your logo, get your business cards done, you know, do electronic business cards, do all your pieces and stay on top of that on a regular basis. Cause it's not just about getting the one deal and focusing on it. It's about continually building your business and taking care of your clients. So I think it's the relatability and then continue to work your book of business because it's fundamentally the biggest piece that will make you successful. So a lot of uh, realtors enter the field, sometimes they're even retired mm -hmm. from their jobs that mm -hmm. they've held for 20 years or whatever, and they get into the real estate market and uh, they're just not um, up to date with the new ways of marketing. So what are some of the piece of, of advice that you can that you might give them when it comes to how they brand themselves, how they can best market themselves? Is it knocking doors today? Is it, um, <laughs> I know they used to do a lot of that. Yeah, they still do. I think a big piece of it, like I said, is spending the first little bit of it while you have the time to organize your contacts because that's gonna be the piece that you're sending out. You're gonna do it electronically for you know um best solicitation with least amount of cost but these pieces aren't new and that's where i think everybody has struggles you know they, they're trying to recreate the will when in fact most of the marketing pieces depending on where you're going in in the real estate world most of those pieces are created so the best thing would be is obviously reach out to your broker ask them what tools they provide or what they have that are already you know created and utilize those so that you're not starting from scratch trying to brand yourself as a professional is, is a tough thing to do because that's its own career you know if you're doing marketing or any kind of pieces like that i'm not an expert in it so i don't try to be but what i do is i reach out to the people that i know <clears throat> that can create my branding pieces for example and i let them you know, design and draft. And sometimes I, I look at things and I think, oh, I, I could easily do it. But then the reality is it's one, I, I'm lying to myself if I say I can. And two, it's normally not the most cost effective. So I leave it to the professionals that take the time and that's what they specialize in. And I found that it's always worth it to me to, especially anything if you're doing like web-based designs or any of those things that are like, solicitations of, of different kinds of electronic stuff I, I just I'm not the expert with this so I do have people on my team for example that that's what they do because at the end of the day I just need to make sure that it's being maintained and I think that's a big mistake is that we think we can but we're really doing our business so we don't have time like that ends up being the real big piece that I see with loan officers so I try to draft it up I create it for my entire team I do the branding pieces because if they had to do it, we all independently, none of us have time. And it's the same thing with the real estate side. The brokers are providing this material normally. They have marketing departments. So I think the first thing they need to do is reach out and say, what are my learning tools? What are my marketing tools? What do I have available to me? And you'd be shocked actually what brokers already have done. 
It's just people don't ask. So. Yeah, because I think sometimes they get a little scared maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, it's venturing into waters that maybe they've never been into before, so they maybe don't quite feel comfortable because they don't know exactly what the right questions are, but I'm assuming ask the question and that's the most important sure. thing. Yeah, and ask your peers. You know, surprisingly, branding and marketing pieces are uniquely different from one person to the next. See what works for the other people around you. Ask questions, look at their business and how they built their platform. Nobody came successful typically overnight. It takes effort. So yeah. see who you like and look at how they did it. How do you actually do this in your life? So when you talk about organizing your contacts, how do you organize them? Um, it's, what do you use? Because I think that that helps people. I mean, if you don't want to give away trade secrets, <laughs> oh, no. okay. but it but it helps people to hear like, oh, this is these are the different tools that have helped me to get organized. Like I said, I'm an independent owner, so mm -hmm. it's a little different. But I have I have staff that specifically organizes me, and and so that is a huge advantage. But when you're not at a volume level or you're not your schedule's not cram packed, I tell everybody as you get your contacts. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, everybody is potential business. So get the business card, put it in. I use Outlook, which is a very standard, you know, it's a Microsoft program. I like it because it it's, creates Excel spreadsheets. It does um, data card entry. So we can use this as a conversion for just about any other program. So if I was wanting to do some postcard, I can actually create the Excel spreadsheet and import into another sales tool. So I like Outlook a lot and I do it every day. <laughs> and I'm a little obsessive about stuff. So I take business cards. I prefer an electronic card. So like somebody can send me a V card, it's my happy place. But if they don't, I have the neat and it just scans in business cards. And when I say, it's not me, I hand it to my gal and she scans it in. But I really try to make sure that anytime I have point of contact that I have the V card created immediately because at the end of the day, it's too hard to try to go backwards once you're 10 years into this or five years into this. It's just, you're missing potential business. So just organize yourself. It doesn't matter what tool you're using, to be honest. It could be free, it could be a Google product. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that you're doing it. So, and mine is like regular pieces. I, I'm, we're already designing our Christmas cards. It should be here in the next two weeks. You know, I'm trying to get all this stuff, you know, done. That's the difference. Great ideas don't equal business. Getting it to fruition and bringing it to actualization, that's what's gonna get you the business. So thinking about it is awesome, but execute is what makes the difference. And so I tell everybody at the end of the day, because we're all habitually lazy people by nature. So I really try to design this so that my team has somebody to hand that off to and really they do administrator assistant she literally takes those for everybody and she sends them so and if i think it's important or if i have a point of contact i just share it amongst each other so i'll send the v card out to the, to my entire group so it you know organizing yourself is just execution immediate i think that's it's habitual patterns you know just create it whatever you're doing so that it's getting done and that's one thing that I've realized as I've talked to different people on this podcast and others, that 
the successful people that I know, it's because they have systems. It's because they have organization. It's not chaos. They don't wake up and think, what am I doing today? I'm going with the flow. Yeah. No, those are not the, you know, and I, I mean, maybe if you're a billionaire, that works for, for you, you yeah. know, but a lot of the, the people that are successful, they have these routines. They have these systems that help organize and sort of take the thought process out of it. It's just like, nope, this is what I do. Yeah. And it really does make surprisingly a a difference. And like there is a piece which I like tactile actual marketing pieces. I don't know a lot that are successful, but I can tell you one that is. And to me, it, it is a no brainer. I always send out my Christmas card and I always do the calendar magnet in it. And it always makes me so happy when I'm at a client's house and I look at their fridge and I can see my magnet on it because to me, it's a piece. It has my contact on it. I'm branding myself. I'm mm-hmm. in their home, but it holds up their kids, you know, colored picture, whatever. Mm-hmm. they For whatever reason, that's the piece that I think stands out more than any of it. And that's so silly that it's, you know, re- it's relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, that's one that doesn't get thrown away. So I always do that one. I like it. I think it's hilarious. It goes with the Christmas cards. So that's great. Well, there's a couple of things you've said that have made me smile. (laughs) (laughs) One was, you know, uh, when you when you mentioned the fact that great ideas are wonderful, but, you know, essentially without any action, they're just great ideas and great ideas are great. But they're, they don't produce any business unless they're actually put into action. And the other is, is that something that I remind myself all the time from an old Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, a man has to know his limitations. And when you know your limitations, you understand that whatever those limitations are, you have to fill, fill in those holes with other people who are good at whatever it is you're not good at. And I've, I've heard you now say several times just in this podcast and in our other conversations. And I think that's an important point. I'm happy that you're bringing it up so often. It is. I mean, at the end of the day, there's just things that I'm, I'm, I'm good at. And then there's things that I know I'm not. So to me, I just think it's, it's better to maybe think outside your comfort. And sometimes it's financial. And that, that's a hard commitment because at some point you're small enough to handle it yourself. And then if you're if you're doing your business right, then you progress past that. And some point, there's a muddy, blurred area that you're going to have to try to figure out if you can handle paying an assistant or having an assistant or having a service that does something for you. And that's a, that's a hard bridge, you know, to, to, to get over to that next level. And I think where we all struggle is identifying it because we feel comfortable with the income we're making, but we know we can make more. And so I think that that's when you start feeling that that's pretty much the time you have to start recognizing the fact that if you're going to take your business to that next level, you got to make some changes and, and it's key. And I think personally, I, I'm, I'm more of an includer by nature. So I enjoy having the team structure, but uh, it's very, very easy to go into something that sounds good, but because everything is pitched amazing i think in my in this industry we're in it sure is but at the end of it you know when you find people that you can surround yourself with every day it be a team it be a mentor it be a leader it be you know your your employer whatever it is when you find that it's priceless so i can tell you like i didn't make the most money my first 10 years 
but I had the best influence possible my first 10 years. And I always tell people sometimes it's, you're gonna pay tuition for it. That's what I, you know, paying for your cost of education. And there's, I had the best influence in my my entire career and I wouldn't have ever left these people. So what I did learn is I would rather have good, strong, amazing surroundings than potentially chase the dollar. That was the other piece of it. And my first 10 years, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed it. I literally would have still be at the bank, but the bank is no longer. <laughs> they got, you know, little fish, big fish, and they aren't around any, anymore. But it was really an amazing thing because I was at my best production, happiest in my career, and I think I made the least amount of money. But, you know, in, in there, I had leadership that was incredible. But, you know, it gave me an opportunity and a platform to go to that next level of my career. So even though everyone struggles with where they're going to go, what brokerage firm, it's really not the logo. It's the influence and the leadership. So match it up that way because you'll you'll pay for it if you don't. I absolutely love that. Like that you were like, it's like tuition. You were just like learning. You got all this information about from the banking side that helps you now. And so, you know, a lot of times with these deals, it's like, okay, your offer is accepted, your client's offer is accepted, and then it passes the home inspection. There's no meth. We just did that <laughs> about meth, you know? And then, you know, it's the financing. And so what are some financing options that are available that maybe real estate agents don't know about for their clients? What do you feel like is the something that you're like, ah, oh, I wish that every agent would know that this was? Well, actually, that was a recent shift. So in my mind i actually was the banking side then i went to the broker side then i went to the lender side which i think a lot of people did in 2000 2009 and 10 they shifted to the lender side and i still see a lot of business platforms that are lender lender relations but that's migrated like the business in the industry as a whole is really like i said shifting towards the broker side but the mentality hasn't and what i find is there is so much product out there that everybody thought went away. You know, with the bubble burst in 2010, 11, 12, you know, stated incomes and bank statements and, you know, interest onlys and, but they're actually, they're out there. They're still out there. And a lot of programs that I utilize are grant programs or down payments for first time home buyers. And it's frowned upon or it's not discussed because um, maybe the the lenders aren't making as much on these products because they're they're capped on profitability. Me, it's not about the profitability on each product. It's about the service to the clients, and that may be a first time home buyer that you're working with, but they refer you business, and that's not necessarily a first time home buyer either. So, to me, you're you're creating a business platform, and you're servicing your clients, and they we utilize government loans so much and i think it's really kind of missed because people have a closed mind you know if a lender says that this is the guideline then it's assumed it is the guideline but there are overlays and the difference is this fha has its guideline but if you're going to a lender and the lender has its own overlay that means like fico score restriction something like that so if this lender says we only take 620 on an fha FHA goes down to 500. So 
they assume what's being told to them is accurate. And I see that as a major stumbling block in in the industry because you know, you, you're told over and over again and over and over again that this is guideline, but the words are used too loosely. So FHA is guideline, Freddie Mac is guideline, Fannie Mae is guideline, BA has guideline, rural housing has guideline, but everybody should be asking, is it an overlay? And that is a big difference on our side as a broker, because we get a handpick where we're sending this specific to those overlays. So whereas one lender won't take a FICO score down to 620, this lender will. Or if this investor requires the borrowers have their own seasoned down payment, another investor might not. So knowing where the loan is going to go, specific to the needs of the consumer, the buyer, that's a knowledgeable loan officer. And it's not learning one book of business. It's not learning this is our product mix. It's learning all of our investors' products mix and all of the details of each one of them. Let me understand this. So FHA, of course, has its guidelines. There are different lenders who have their own guidelines or what you might use the term overlay. The overlay is different from one mortgage company to another. So they go to a mortgage company and the mortgage company says it doesn't qualify under their FHA loan. They can go to another mortgage company and that mortgage company would tell them it does qualify under the FHA. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, because in the banking, the rules are the rules. You know, it's a very specific guideline. In the lender world, they're, and the banking in industry is using their own money. They're closing it and servicing their transactions. In the lender world, they're using what's called a warehouse line. So they're using their, their money that's borrowed. So they have to get rid of the product and sell it on the secondary market. So they are trying to be a little bit more generic so that they don't have buybacks. So they create overlays so that it, they don't, it, the bad verbiage that it's, it's called, it's called a scratch and dent. If they do something wrong on a loan and they have to shelf the loan or they're gonna sell it on the secondary market and make less profit, but they don't. They create a generic overlay and they base those off of fundamentals of like defaults. So based off of criteria at this FICO score, this percentage of loans default. So then they keep a benchmark, they keep a specific number. Doesn't mean that that's FHA's guideline. It means that that's their threshold, that's their comfort. But the impression given to the real estate agent and also the uh, the client is that it doesn't qualify. Yeah, that that's the, the part. It The terminology that's used is so vague that this is, it doesn't meet guideline, whose guideline? Uh. So that's the piece that a real estate agent should ask. And on the broker side, we know this. So we're coming to something where maybe somebody does have a lower FICO score. So we search through our lenders and we look for the lender that has right. that tolerance. On the lender side, they only have one. And on the banking side, it's very much narrower path because they have certain criteria and that's it. Ours is, way, way vast, good and bad with that. You can get a loan officer that is not knowledgeable and it's so much and it becomes overwhelming each lender. And so they start crossing it in their head and they think they will do something and then potentially they'll miss a piece. So really it's a fine line between lenders and brokers. I lean towards a broker shop. I'm a little biased, I am a broker. Sure. But I've done all of the hats in my career and not for a short period, a decade on each. So to me, coming into this, 
I'm I'm not, you know, ignorant to to guidelines. You know, I'm walking guideline book basically. And so when somebody asks me something, I can regurgitate from the actual source. But then I have to tell my loan officers, you need to call the investor to make sure that they don't have an overlay. So we teach them constantly the difference on the broker side. It's not brought up much on the lender side. That's why. And the verbiage is used from you know, underwriting to management to the LO to the processing. It's said very loosely because they say it's a guideline. And even when you go to a lender side, they're going to pull up their guideline book. Like they normally have like a web-based reference book, but it's cross overlaid with guideline from FHA. Let's just use FHA. Right. It's FHA's and theirs. Okay. So they'll go to their source, their Bible, their whatever it is that they are, if this is their rigid rule and they assume it's accurate. And once you get out of the lender side and we went to the broker side, I actually, and I'll say it like this, I was actually, I felt lied to because for 10 years I was on the on the lender side and you believe it, like you're drinking the punch. You, you believe what they're telling you. This is rigid. This is the guideline. Everybody has the same guidelines. But then you go to something that like the broker side and you realize it's not. That is not the case. And that's a hard pill to swallow from the lender side to the broker side because then you start realizing, I could have done this business. I could have done this loan. And that's the hard part. And on the real estate side, they hear it. Oh, your borrower doesn't meet the criteria because you had a minimum base FICO score. Or they had a derogatory on their credit. You know, each one of those are different. FHA has the guideline, but you got to look at your overlays. And I see it so much. I literally have so many loans that are referred to me because somebody else can't do it. Well, I have to tell you. The only thing I can say to what you just had to say is, wow, wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, it's pretty sad. If I were uh, a real estate agent and I just listened to what you had to say, I'd be saying to myself, I may have missed out on some business simply because I didn't understand that part of the financial world, right? Sure. And even more so is actually the buyer. You know, yeah. they're they're out there and their heart and souls are invested. They, they've they moved in their furniture. They can see their kids in their bedrooms. And then all of a sudden they're crushed. Their dreams are smashed and demolished in front because somebody said something. And even when they come to me and I'm doing some sort of damage control at that point, it's really hard to motivate a buyer that they can do this after they've been deflated like that. Yeah. So that's the part that I find really, really sad because I have people that come in and I'm like, I can do this loan. And it's almost like they don't believe me. So the entire time I'm doing their loan transaction, they almost don't want to emotionally invest because they're already wiped out. So by the time I'm getting to the end of this, they're like, is this really gonna happen? And I'm like, yeah. So, but it, it's, it's painful at that point. And although the real estate agent might come in and be the hero because they referred it to me, the damage was done. You know, the probability of somebody saying, oh my gosh, I had such a great experience buying this house. It didn't feel that way to them. You know, although it will close and execute, it feels like they got dragged behind a car and then this emotional turmoil that they've gone through isn't that glowing, ecstatic, take a picture of your family in front of that beautiful house. That's not the testimony you're gonna get from that client. 
I think it's really important that one, you always get that whole referral base. The brokers say it all the time on the real estate side. They say, pick your lenders, make sure you have your partnership. And they push and campaign these loyalties and relations. But you have to be careful. Like, what business platform are they building their business off of? Because a broker might just do 80, 90% of conventional financing types of transactions. And if somebody else is saying, this is my broker's person, and this other new real estate agent, they're primarily doing VAs or FHAs, that referral might not be the perfect fit. And I think really, you gotta get out there. You gotta expose yourself to partners and, and potential business relations that you can start picking for yourself. You'll easily pick it up. You know, like I said, pitches are pitches, right? But at some point, performance does kick in and you're gonna know when somebody is knowledgeable because it comes across. And in, when they're talking about a loan product, you're like, wow, that person really knows what they're talking about. The consumer, the buyer feels that. They feel like they're handing over their hopes and dreams to somebody who's gonna get it done. And it, it's really rough when it goes sideways. So I can't even begin to talk enough about that topic with real estate agents because there's a lot of them that don't utilize the Utah housing product. That's a grant program. It's a Utah housing government and state product. And it's not utilized like it should be. And people just don't know. So, and they steer away from even VA. Like how and why would you not do a VA loan first? Rural housing. There's so much products, but they're harder. You know, sometimes it puts, it's a little bit more work. It's a little bit more sweat on the brow, but any loan officer is going to customize the product to the needs of the consumer. And so I think you really need to make sure you're working with somebody who has that vast product mix. And it's not just those ones. It's the ones that just because somebody is self-employed and doesn't want to write up, write up all of their tax income, there's bank statement loans for these consumers and working with somebody who can offer that product in, and it's treated just like everything else because it's sometimes frowned upon in the banking side or the lender side. So I just think it shouldn't be some weird side handoff and it shouldn't be where somebody has to get referred to the next person and the next person because you should be able to go to one place, one lender and get the needs of your buyer satisfied with knowledge. So I have three follow-up questions. <laughs> and sometimes when I ask questions, I'm like, uh, I'm gonna be like, no one wants to be that person that doesn't know, but I figure if I don't know, maybe a new agent doesn't know. Absolutely. Okay, so I thought that a lender and broker were like, same, same, like, right. just like switched around. So, so a broker has different options where like a lender is just so like scott when you were like with nationwide yeah. you just mm -hmm. exclusively were with nationwide yeah. so right. is that sort of how it is that's exactly okay like in, in the insurance world they have the same thing so at, you could be a broker and you're selling multiple different underwrite okay okay so the policy is written differently with this company the policy is written different with this the criteria and as a smart educated insurance agent you got to know which one they're going to yeah. fit under that's exactly the difference on the lender in there it's used synonymously so yeah. people confuse it yeah but on the lender side it's again they're using their warehouse line they're using their money and they create the rules of which they want so that they can sell it on the secondary okay. a broker uses other lenders money so they uh, reach out based off of the criteria 
and the loan is not closed on a warehouse line from us. It's closed under the guideline of which we upload it to the other party. So we pick from multiple companies based off of what it's specific for the consumer. So being on the lender side, like I said, it was this is our rules and fit, fit the rules, right? And being on the broker side, I'm like, if it's a no here, it could be a yes there. Okay. And that's a big advantage. And that's why the industry is migrating more. It migrated to the lender side mm -hmm. after 2010, but that shift has been significant in the last three to four years back to the broker side and it is building. And really, if you're not at least have a relationship with one broker, they're probably selling themselves short because it should be a question that they ask. It, they can have a lender. I'm not saying lenders yeah. are bad. Yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah. You know, it was a great relation even for me. But coming into this and having the product mix and having a yes answer for my borrower, that was more important than any of it. So I ended up having to pick and my answer was, I want the products. I want all the options for my borrower, not one. And when it comes down to that and you're really seeing it, what one will say no, the other will say yes. And it's really an important thing to know because it's not the same kind of business platform at all. And so this is beneficial. Like my next question for you was, you know, no one wants their client to lose their earnest money. Mm -hmm. And so, but um, on another podcast I was hearing about, you know, that, or like how you had said too, that like sometimes people will bring their clients and it's sort of like that last ditch effort mm -hmm. to like get it, but then it's a race to get it. It is. Like in before and like they're deflated. So are there sort of different things that they can look at for different buyers to be like, oh, you know what, this would be good with a lender. Like, I, I don't know, like ways to to avoid not, I'm not choosing my words very wisely, but but like not, I don't want to say like warning signs, like that it wouldn't work with certain things, but are there certain things like tips for them to know how to help with the finance fighting to find the right person? Well, you know, I, I really think that's, it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah. So, but I'll tell you, Interestingly, for whatever reasons, like every time an agent talks with the borrowers, they generally aren't going to air their dirty laundry, mm. in my personal opinion. That's not where I see it. Yeah. And so normally when they're coming to my office, the door gets closed and they're like, this is my life. You know, okay. and, and it's yeah. like getting, you know, it, it's rough. Yeah. So, and, and I try to keep that real for any client sitting across from me because I'm like, I'm not judging you. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't. I won't remember details about yeah. your transaction six months from now. Yeah. I'll remember your name and your face, yeah. but that's it. But when an, a real estate agent, you know, I, I think it's hilarious because they'll say, oh, this is the circumstance and there's such a strong buyer and, and I, it's not always the clear picture. Mm. So I wouldn't say that it's there's there's signs or signals that they should be looking for, but sometimes it is. So, and on the circumstances where maybe a consumer says, hey, I lost my house a few years back on a short sell or a foreclosure, then yes, that might be something that could be say, you know, just make a quick phone call yeah. to the loan officer and say, hey, or a quick email and just say, hey, what's your guideline on this? And filter your, you know, concerns ahead of time. So you can absolutely do that. A number one thing that is an, another like red flag would be, you know, if somebody's talking about their credit. So a big thing that they can do is get their credit checked for free most of the lenders and brokers don't charge for that. So the first thing that they can get is just say, hey, I have a buyer 
that just wants their credit check to see where we're going to build off of this, you know, and see what we, and they can call me and I send them a quick sheet and they can fill it out and I pull a credit. It's great. It's really easy, but it takes away one of the biggest fears because mm-hmm. people are like, I have my shame. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. <it's> gonna be. <laughs> yeah. And it really isn't. And I'm like, you know what? I, I really try to just tell people, I'm like, it's, it's gotta be comfortable for them. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to sit there and, and, you know, rake them over the coals. I just say, if it fits and then really cool piece that, agents really i think they they know but maybe they don't know in detail but most of the credit servicing companies that we work with actually give us credit simulators so not only do we have the opportunity to sit down with our borrower but we have the opportunity to show them how to improve their fico scores and it's specific to each bureau and it's really a cool tool tool and it, and each real estate agent should be working with um, a loan officer that has that for free because if their borrowers are paying for that that service is out there for free for sure okay so that's a big deal and it and it's expensive it's not a cheap service uh-huh. but it will clear up concerns and reservations so fast so that is a big deal for a real estate agent and it probably gives them that hope of like okay if i do this for six months mm-hmm. or if i do this for a year it's not even that long it's insane. Like most of the stuff I do, it's like, oh, pay this down. And it's really unique because it's an algorithm. Mm-hmm. Your FICO scores are put into Equifax, Experian, and TransUnions. And these are dynamic numbers of saturation of liabilities and debts. And what you think, oh, I'll pay this off, it might not help you. So don't tell the borrowers mm-hmm. to, to pay off their debt. In fact, sometimes paying off debt hurts the FICO scores because it causes the credit to go shallow. Really? So literally run it through the bureau, run it through the simulation, and it gives you exact numbers. And it's weird sometimes, like $416. You're like, where did that number come from? But it's because it's a system base. And it's because how the saturations and how they report to the bureau. Don't guess. I literally can't even stress that enough with my buyers because I tell them, do not guess. Don't go paying something off. Don't go charging on your credit. If you have a question, let's run it through the simulation and then they'll know. Because they're like, can I use my credit card because I need to get tires? I'm like, well, let's add that debt to the tire and see, or to the account and see what that does to your FICO scores. And I can answer that question versus them going, uh, you know, can I buy this fridge? I'm like, it's a constant struggle in, in yeah. our side, but it's a really cool tool at the point of sell for a yeah. real estate agent. And it's awesome. So people cool. always will be like, oh, I really bad credit. I got divorced. And, you know, and I'm like, you and half the other world, like, it's fine. <laughs> Just come on in and let's talk about, you know, talk about your credit. And it's really cool when they see it because they're like, I'm not smoking mirrors i'm showing yeah. them this yeah. really cool system and they're sitting there and they're like well what if i pay this and and i'm doing whatever they want i'm like i'm saying okay like you tell me i'm not i'm not here to spend your money i'm just yeah. telling you how to improve your fico if it's something that you're not comfortable with let's change it to their needs because they're like i don't want to go in a house with this car payment okay that's fine let's see if paying off that car helps you sometimes it doesn't so sometimes i have to tell them i'm like well if you pay off these credit cards you get a much better interest rate I understand you don't want the car payment, but, you know, and I have to educate them and then they get to pick. I'm not telling them what to do, but I think it's a really awesome, awesome point of sale tool and it should be offered to every one of their clients. So that's great. Yeah. And my last question is, what does FICO stand for? Well, stand for or what is used as terminology. 
I'll, I'll put this in layman's terms. Yes, please. Okay, so <laughs> FICO score is a three-digit number that ranges from 350 to 850 generally, um, and it's grading your credit history. On the mortgage side, it's a grade of 10 years, believe it or not. Most people don't know that. Oh. So we go back on a 10-year history, and our credit report will show it. Anything that trends on your credit. It also gives you um, a repayment history. So there's what would be like a pegboard inside these algorithm systems, like I was telling you. It tells you your habitual patterns of spending. So if you're the person, you have 10 credit cards and you only randomly use a few. You charge out your discount tire, whatever you're doing, because you're gonna get a promotion or a rebate, and then they pay it off the very next month, right? Those pegboards, it will, lightly impact FICO and it trends. It actually says this person uses credit, but doesn't depend on it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't use your credit, your, your scores suffer. So how you want to have a trending pattern is you want to say, yes, I have the opportunity to borrow. I just don't need to. How FICO scores get adjusted is if people carry saturated debts. So let's say they do have the 10 credit cards and they're using all of them. And based off the saturation percentage, which is kind of interesting, based off the saturation percentage is normally how it impacts the FICO score itself, the three-digit number, mm -hmm. because it doesn't recognize that you have a $1,000 credit card or a $300 credit card. It uses the percentage that you use. So a $300 on a $300 card is going to hurt you. $300 on a $1,000 card, maybe not as much. So the FICO score is designed so it gives you a trend history. And sometimes people don't even have a FICO score because they don't use credit or the FICO score goes away. So because they don't use the credit. And nowadays, like you can be 18 and have like a 700 FICO because you went and got a credit card or whatever. But it's it's your number digit based off of your spending patterns and borrowing patterns. So. If that, that helps. Yeah, that was a great way okay. of explaining it. Thanks for answering my three clarifying questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been fascinating. I mean, there's been a number of things in here that I think if anybody was, uh, you know, un unfortunately, uh, as a public, we're not that educated when it comes to a lot of things that have a tremendous impact in our lives. Uh, but when we turn to professionals like yourself, we can... I don't know, take advantage of their wisdom and help our lives be better. So it's been it's it's been interesting to to listen to what you've had to say today. I think, you know, knowledge is power and it it's an interesting thing to share. So I love surrounding myself with sharper knives. So I don't <laughs> want to be the most matured or experienced in a room. And it's a really cool thing when you can surround yourself with peers that, you know, have this vast knowledge and you know, our company, our corporate office, we have amazing, you know, owners there and I can pick their brain. And I just, I, I love the fact that we have unlimited resources throughout the nation and we all have the mindset of learning from each other through forums and shared networking. And it's, it's dynamically changed the last 10 years. And I love that part. I love that I think lenders want to better each other. And, and brokers. So it's pretty cool to share that. Well, in speaking of that, the main reason for our podcast nominations is to pick the brain 
of professionals who uh, are able to share of their knowledge. And, uh, and so we always get professionals on here. We want to know who could you nominate uh, that is a professional could give to us the kind of knowledge that you've been able to give to us today. Who would that be? Rex Frazier. He is with Influence Realty and he's been doing this forever. He's one of my dearest friends and literally watching his brain. I process at a pretty quick speed and the fact that I would say half the things that I would say to him and then he would start creating spreadsheets and he was in is insane. I absolutely think he is one of the best leaders on the real estate side. So he would definitely be somebody that I would nominate for that because he's amazing and he's such a genuine person. So like I said, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, mentoring comes down to people who are gonna invest in your success, unlimitless. And also, he doesn't do any of this selfishly. He just doesn't. He's always heavily taxing himself just to make sure that his people are successful. And I love that about him. So he's, I refer new agents to him actually quite a bit. So he'd be great. Well, we actually, I interviewed Rex on our Utah real estate podcast. Uh And I do have to say that he's so knowledgeable. Rex, Lisa has told us that you are insane. Insane. Insanely brilliant. And because of that, Rex, we're coming after you. So Lisa, for people that are listening and they're like, wow, like I want her to help me with my deal so that my clients don't lose their earnest money. How can they get hold of you? Um, They can reach me on my cell or my office. So I'll give you my numbers. 801-261-2105 is my office. And my cell is 801-915-5073. My email is lisa at mymtgladies.com, mymortgageladies.com. Well, Lisa, thank you for giving real estate agents the keys to secure a house for their client's home. episodes from other nominees head on over to nominationspodcast.com and while you're there if you're tired of zoom classes because i certainly am come over to the silver dollar academy i've handpicked the brightest and the most dynamic instructors so those classes are not going to be a snooze fest but if you're like me and technology bothers you and you like the old-fashioned way, call Chris, our concierge, at 801-266-0606 in order to learn more about the Silver Dollar Academy. This broadcast is brought to you by Title One. Located in Sandy, we are Utah's leading title company in securing a house for your clients' homes. 